Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. back for more plastic model mojo hey mike how are you doing i'm doing pretty good well it's good had a great weekend last weekend to get much modeling done but we'll get to that later uh enjoyed my weekend doing other stuff what about you well having a little bit of a mojo problem haven't really been able the last week week and a half to make much forward progress and it's i got to admit it's kind of hurting my mojo uh, it's a combination of not just models, which we'll talk about when we're talking about what's the, the bench top, but, uh, you know, work as, as the pandemic recedes work, which already was at a high volume is going into a super high volume. As you mentioned, spring is coming. And of course, you know, I've got a fair size yard with a pool and a patio. And so there's all sorts of maintenance that has to be done to get that back into shape. Um, uh, the wife and I did ha- did cook out for the first time using the grill for the first time for the season this past weekend. So, and then of course the again, as the spring comes around, there's more stuff going on with the kids, and it's kind of sapping my mojo. It's I've got to I've got to find a way to to recapture some mojo and and jumpstart forward on on the projects how about you what's your mojo look like uh, my mojo is fine but outside of modeling i've been trying to get caught up on my modeling periodicals <laughs> good luck with that yeah i think i got a fsm and a journal last week or so both so i need to check those out yeah yeah i'm always behind on that well that and all the podcasts it's hard for me to keep up I need to get to the yes. bench more. That'd take care of the podcast things. Yep. Certainly would. Although I will say, you know, uh, one of the things I, I enjoy about our friends down under dropping for us on Saturday mornings is that I, I strap on a headset and I'm out there in the yard doing yard or patio work. I can cut through an entire on the bench while I'm out there working. It's, uh, uh, I, as I've told Goldfinch more than once, I really appreciate them doing that. It helps me. <laughs> Well, good on them for helping you get your yard mode. Yes, absolutely. So, Mike, uh, what are you uh, what are you drinking tonight? Well, right now it's the uh, the house favorite, the Gumball Head from Three Floyds. I've had a choice between a six pack and a twelve pack earlier in the week uh, at Kroger. Uh, guess which one I happened to buy? Where did you find a twelve pack? I have never seen Gumball Head in a twelve pack. Well, Kroger had it in bottles. No, in cans. In cans? Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it in, in either cans or bottles, so that's that's good news. Maybe my Kroger will end up with a 12-pack, because that is definitely, heck, if they sold it in a case, I'd buy, buy it by the case. Well, somebody probably does. What you drinking on there? I'm, I'm drinking a Yingling American, traditional American lager. It's a mass market beer, well, relatively mass market beer. It's not bad. It's not, it's not Gumball Head. It's not even Voodoo Rangers Imperial IPA. 
it's more like one of those beers. I think you referred to Narragansett as one of those beers that, you know, is a Saturday yard work beer. And I can see this being a Saturday yard work beer. Uh, the only problem, the only thing that argues against that is it's a little heavy for uh, a traditional mass market ale, as opposed to say a blue moon or a, uh, something like that that's lighter. This one ha- does have a little bit of body to it. So eh, it, it'll get me through the episode. Well, if not, you can get another one. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, our fans out there keep sending us lots of listener mail. I, I'm pleased about that. Got a lot to talk about. All right. Let's get to it. All right. Well, first up is uh, Mr. S- Sidney Martin from Southern California, and uh, he sends a quick thanks for the podcast, and he's been binge listening to get caught up, so uh, hopefully uh, you stick around for many more episodes, and we're, we're glad to have you on board, so thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, Raz Nelson writes in again, and to uh, cut into his quick here, he wants to know what techniques or strategies we use to slow down and do things right in reference to our, or your... Uh, <sighs> Slow is smooth and smooth is fast, uh, fast mantra. So um, I don't know. I I struggle with it constantly. I really do. I, in fact, right now, you know, I mentioned reduced bench time and over the last two weeks, and the fact that you know spring has sprung and work is picking up. And the problem that that gives me is when I do get to the bench with energy to work, I want to accomplish a lot. And that is the exact opposite of slow is steady and steady is fast. I'm interested for any strategy anybody has because I need to make myself slow down and speed up at the same time. And I'm not sure how to accomplish those goals. Uh, I, I know finding more, organizing my life a little bit better so that I waste less time and reclaim some of that time for bench time that's that's i know one technique that i need to explore but other than that i'm at a loss how about you i think i just try to bite off smaller things when i'm when i'm working like i'm I'm doing some weathering that we'll get to later on the anti-tank gun i'm building and uh just working in very small areas at a time and, and don't think i have to get like the chipping done over some huge broad surface in one session because uh I can't remember who it was. I think it was Mike Rinaldi actually said sometimes people get wrapped around trying to do, do it all at once or uh, trying to get a bunch done in one session. Cause they, they want to make sure it all kind of looks the same, mm-hmm. but that's not really necessary because you've got a template for what you're trying to do in the next area from the area you just finished the night before. So if you can kind of remember or make notes about what you're doing and, and just slow down, take your time and, and not try to forge ahead and do the whole thing in one night. I think that's, for painting and finishing, that's where it, where it, where it comes into. Uh, for just con- general construction, I, I just make sure I, I try to address every seam line and every every parting line, and get it down as best I can, and, and make sure it's all gone before I even cut the next part off the sprue. And, and uh, being being meticulous like that will, will definitely slow you down. Yeah, but but then again, it will also be very smooth and thus speed you up as opposed to having glued some parts to that gather and then realize they're an unaddressed seam or mold line or something that you've now got to go in and clean up 
that's now in a tight corner or an uncomfortable place. Yeah, that's true. So if anybody else has any suggestions. Please uh, pass them on. Pass them on. We'll, we'll get them on here. Uh, there's a couple here from a couple of, of uh, guys who've written in before, Tim Cavalier and, and Rob Perlman. And they both write in to say that they enjoyed our segment on paint. Tim says he has a smattering of everything, but uh, Rob kind of sticks to the acrylics due to his uh, shared space constraints in his living arrangement. Tim asks for a segment on paint storage, which is interesting. Oh, God. Uh, but but I, so I suspect his smattering is a bit of an understatement um, if he's wanting to know how to store it all. Yeah, <laughs> it is a constant problem. And then Rob suggests we all try uh, AK's third generation acrylics. Uh, he thinks it's uh, better than most of the others that are out there. Uh, I've not tried it. Neither have I. I've, I, I and, and the funny thing is I'm sold on their Gen 2. I mean, for me to be using their Gen 2 acrylics, that's unusual for me because I have a lifelong hatred of acrylics. <laughs> well, so, I've got I've got so much Vallejo that it just doesn't make a lot of sense for me to invest in a whole lot more yet. But uh, somebody had the the metallics from that line. I can't remember who it was, but uh, they look like they were pretty good, actually. So there's a there's yeah. a reason right there. Yeah, like I needed one. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> Uh, another, uh, regular Kip Jackson makes a correction for me. Uh, apparently I didn't account for all the vowels in the, uh, name, uh, Paracel miniatures, not parcel, but Paracel. Uh, Paracel. I, I missed the extra a in there. And this is the line of figures from Vietnam, right? Right. Uh, Paracel islands. That's where this comes from. I, I suspect okay. it, it's a Island chain owned by v- Vietnam that, uh, China's decided they want to start building some stuff on, and it's, and the Vietnamese aren't too happy about it. So, yep, yep. If the balloon goes up, the South China Sea is definitely a hot spot. The Vietnamese and the Chinese have some old axes to grind, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, Kip. Thank you for helping me not sound like David Goldfinch. <laughs> That's an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, next up's Matt Dyer from Gilbert, Arizona. And like me, he was an old Pactra fan from uh, long ago. He liked its long shelf life. He claims it's the old Pactra paints have a longer shelf life than a lot of the testers, model master paints. Oh, I think he's right. Well, gosh, I've got some that are 30 years old, so. I'd be interested to see if any of them are usable. Well, some of them are, but I lose a couple. Like like I said last episode, every every year or so I lose a couple. So the <laughs> The ranks are falling, and I don't use it very often, so it's just kind of hanging around for nostalgia. Uh, he keeps his up, mojo up by spending at least some time at the bench every day, and I think that's that's, oh. a, that's a good idea. It's a great idea, and I just wish it was practically possible for me to not. The problem I have with that is that, you know me, we talk all the time, uh, a lot of my modeling time is late at night. Um, after a full day of work and then wife, kids, you know, family life stuff. And there are a lot of times I will hit the bench at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And at that point, I find myself a lot of times staring at my bench because I'm just, I'm mentally exhausted. Fried. I do think if you can, can carve out, you know, half an hour a day, every day, no matter what, 
because I do think these skills atrophy if you go a significant time without utilizing them. I do too. And I think even 30 minutes a day, you'll make a whole lot more progress than you think you will. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, He goes on to say his ideal project number is two, one in build and one in paint, if possible. So we've talked about that before. And he also agrees that now it takes as long to paint and weather as it does to build. I think that's an understatement. I I think it is too. (laughs) So Matt's got a lot in common with us there. So hopefully uh, he keeps his mojo up by spending a little time at the bench every day. Send us some photos. Gordon Sorensen, uh, St. Remy, Quebec, or Saint Remy, Quebec. Maybe that's how you say it. Another tester square bottle guy. And when he got serious about modeling, he kind of switched to Humbrol. And now he's moving on to ammo acrylics. Now that Humbrol may be no more in Canada. Is that is that true? They got something going hmm. on with Humbrol enamels in Canada? I don't know. That's a great question. Well, maybe one of our Canadian friends can tell us. I know that uh, our local hobby shop, with the, with the death of Model Master, our local hobby shop brought in an entire Humbrol rack uh, because uh, he wanted to have an enamel line since enamels are still so popular with so many modelers. Uh, so I was kind of happy to see the return of the Humbrols, although there is some question as to whether they behave exactly like the old Humbrols. But I don't know if if something's up with Canada and Humbrols are not going to be available there. If somebody knows, tell us. Yes. Just just out of curiosity. It's not that's going to affect us much, but uh, it'll affect them for sure. True enough. Uh, he wants to give a shout out to Sprue Brothers for their same day shipment on a recent order. That's always nice. Yes. One of the, one of the things that Sprue Brothers made a name for themselves uh, uh, when they first burst on the scene was the fact you would order from them any time of day or night. You'd get an email 15 minutes later telling you that your order had been received and then two hours later that it's been packed and shipped, which is, which is great. Uh, let's see. Like all of us, he says, we have, he has too many kits on the shelf of doom. So he's got a couple of, uh, guidelines here. Finish one before starting a new one. (laughs) I wish. And finish one before buying a new one. Yeah. Double wish there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and he wants to see a re-release of the, uh, CF 100 Canuck and, uh, other Canadian specifics from Hobbycraft. Or I'll I'll, ra- I'll raise the stakes. How about some fresh new kits from somebody else? Thank the, you. Of those same subjects. Listen, the clunk, the CF100, the clunk is something that I would really love to do even more than one because there are several, many beautiful schemes and markings, etc. I would love to, and that Hobbycraft kit is just so outdated and so challenged in so many ways that... I just can't bring myself to 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 dive into it. So I'll second your vote. How about a brand new clunk? Bob Bear of Charlotte, North Carolina. He's uh dived into his into the PE world via Zamadi 172nd U47 kit. Mm-hmm. Like how I did that, U boat dived. Yeah. <laughs> yes, dived. Cute. Guess what? I have that kit in my collection. I'm sure you do. It's 70 seconds ago. It is indeed. <laughs> and it was the only game in town before the 
the uh, Ravel kits came out. Didn't they used to make like sailing ships too? That's that's the that's what's odd about that kit. Amati is well known as a wooden ship manufacturer, and so the the to have them produce a seventy second scale U boat in multimedia was really incredible. And I can even tell you where I found it and bought it. I bought it at uh, one of the Cincinnati contests from a vendor up there. Same place I got my Pace paint booth. You spent a lot of money in Cincinnati then. Cincinnati is one of, not to give Don Flynn a big head or anything, but Cincinnati is one of my favorite shows. And I am really hoping that they run this fall. Well, back to Bob. He, uh, Thanks all the podcasts for this and says, P.E. somebody's friend, just not his. Amen. He likes the results and he's now a believer. And he also invited us to his, uh, his uh, virtual trivia. So there you go. He said, if you want to do right. that, he'll send you, send you the link to, to get into all that. Right. Into that uh, I love trivia. Trivia Zoom or whatever he's doing there. That's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> You're the trivia guy, so I'll, I'll leave yeah. that to you. Well, you and Robin need to come down, and well, Ru- Ruthie and I, and all the four of us need to go on to, on to one of those trivia nights. Well, we'll have to look into that when we all do that. Yeah. Up next is Nick Westcott from snowy Minneapolis, Minnesota. He recommends Glenn Morangi 14-year. Uh, is it the Quinta Rub- Ruban or the Quinta Ruban? I don't know how you say that. I, I don't know either. Either It doesn't matter. It tastes awesome. <laughs> Have had it before. It tastes awesome. One of the thing, one of the many reasons I would love to hit the hit the lottery would be able to afford to regularly purchase fine scotch, single malt scotch. <laughs> well, he jabs us a little. He calls our gumball head toned down, and he prefers his uh, Minnesota-based uh, Surly Brewery Furious IPA. And he says he's not sure if we can handle it. Uh, listen, everybody should represent their represent their local brewery guys. I'm telling you. Um, uh, it's it's fantastic that we now have all the choices that we do and that we're not stuck drinking Budweiser. Well, I looked it up on Beer Advocate. It's only 6.7 ABV. So uh, unless it tastes horrible, I'm pretty sure we can handle it. I think we could handle that. And we're kind of talking apples and oranges too, Nick, because uh, Gumball Head's not an IPA. Right. It's a, right. It's a wheat, wheat, uh, yep. wheat ale. Anyway, back to modeling. Nick is asking about an old Ravel kit he wants, and it's kind of expensive on eBay, and he's looking for some other options. Um, it's The one he's wanting is a Sikorsky uh, HO4A-2G, and the old kit yep. in orange plastic. Yes. Very hard to find, which is, of course, why why on eBay it's super expensive. For the, for the lovely old vintage Ravel box art, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a, they look nice. I like those old kits. Yep. Now here, you tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, mm. If he didn't want to spend the money and dive into a collectible kit like that, an H19 or S55 is pretty much the same helicopter. Very similar. Yes. And, and Ravel has several boxings of those. Right, uh, and, and there's a lot of cool aftermarket decals for those too. I was poking around trying to find him a solution to this. Uh, what amazes me is there is an entire subculture that collects old kits, 
but really they're interested in them not so much for the kit as the box and box art. Yeah. If you can tie in with those folks, occasionally you'll find people who are willing to part with the plastic as long as they get to keep the box. (laughs) But I tell you, even on eBay right now, all those other designations are are kind of not that common. Yeah. Yeah. The one on floats, I think it's S55 on floats is probably the the most readily available one. But uh, there's several boxings out there. Surely he can find one of them. That's 48th scale. I think right. it'd get a whole lot easier if you drop down to 72nd, because I think that's kit's still available. Yeah, I from think Ra- you're right. Ravel and Itulary. Yeah. Leo Posner from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Unless you're in an Eagles game. I guess so. Well, our resident airliner guy uh, says he builds one at a time, and even more strangely, it follows his instructions meticulously. And he takes great care with uh, making the fit right, which is kind of like we talked about Skippy last episode. Yeah. So he's kind of the antithesis of uh, Jim Bates. It's kind of what he gets at. <laughs> yeah. So there you go, Jim. And listen, I, I, I am convinced that meticulously following the instructions most of the time is the right thing to do. It's, well, maybe not with trumpeter kits, because frankly, you know my thoughts on their instructions. But <laughs> for for most kits, I think that you get into trouble when you when you stray too far from the kid instructions? Uh, he uses a lot of uh, familiar paints. Uh, you know, a lot of these people are talking about our, our paint segment, so that's good. People listen yeah. to it. <laughs> uh, like I said, he's a lot, a lot of familiar paints, but he just picked up some of Ravel's uh, Aqua Acrylics, which is a line I mentioned in the little, I think they're like blue square bottles. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen them for sale in the U.S. I've not looked too hard. I don't know that I've ever seen them for sale. Now, uh, Plasmo on YouTube uses them on occasion. So yeah, wherever he is, they're available, but, uh, never tried them. So I'm just curious how they are. It's a paint line. I'm not familiar with. I would love somebody to tell me truly how many paint lines there are just to the hobby paints. I'm not even talking about going further afield because there's more than I can count. There may be. Um, Of course, I'm a lawyer. I can't count that high. (laughs) Uh, The main point of his his email was uh, he mentions a now defunct uh, phone app that used to be able to point your camera at a color and get a paint match from a hobby line. Yes. And he says the good one's gone now. And he says there's a couple more uh, model paint 42 and I model kit. He says they pale by comparison, really. And wants to know if there's another one that we use. Um, I build armor mostly, and I don't play that sport. So, <laughs> I actually had one. Uh, Was that it? <laughs> I no, no. That, that's my phone making. That's my wife who just landed in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, so she's having a rough time working, obviously. Um, but uh, my phone broke, and I had to replace it. And I did not replace the app. The the one I had really was more of a tracking app to track what paints you had, but it did have a feature where if you told it the color you wanted, either an FS number or a BCA number or whatever, RLM, it would tell you in each paint line what the, what the, if it had that color and if so, what the stock number was. 
So I, I don't know, Leo. So if anybody else can help him out and know a great paint ident- identification or a paint cross-reference cross app, uh, send it to us and we'll get up on the yep. Facebook page and everybody will, everybody will know and some app creator will be very happy. Absolutely. All right. Derek Post says, well, you two motivated me. My better half and I will be attending Vegas and are super excited for it. Thanks for the mojo. Yes. We're like Pied Pipers, Dave. Uh, listen, for those of you who have never been to a national, you will never forget your first national, no matter how many you go to. It is unlike any other model contest you've ever been to. It's, it is an experience. And uh, I, I say this all the time. It's the best four days of my year, every year, year in and year out. Well, he thinks we need to get some uh, Model Mojo get-together going on in the hotel bar. Uh, Where else would we hold it? I don't know. (laughs) By the pool? I don't know. Yeah, no. (laughs) We're going to hold it in a bar. We can have it both places. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. He's a returning modeler, and as a returning modeler, every build he makes is a new skill or technique. He says his advice to people who are nervous, just go for it. If you ruin a model, no biggie. You're learning and enjoying. That's a good attitude. Absolutely correct. That That is the attitude. If you could bottle it as Mr. Mister Color attitude, that's the one you, that's the, that's the attitude you need to have. All right. Another, another paint related one here. This is from uh, Bob Lomasaro in Las Vegas, who we'll hear from again here in a little while. Uh, He says he loved his discussion about paint. And like everyone, I started as a kid with square testers. It's pretty much universal in North America, I think. Yeah. When I got serious and started airbrushing, I discovered Poly S. And to this day, I believe they are the best paints ever made. Oh. You know, Bob, if you like Poly S, knock yourself out. But my first reaction to this was equivalent to saying, uh, when I got my driver's license, I went out and bought a horse. (laughs) <laughs> polyes in the old days was very difficult to airbrush and because it wasn't made for it that wasn't there i mean the people figured out how to do it i remember charlie errington in the louisville club uh did a lot of work with that and he loved airbrushing polyes but that ain't me well when they rebranded it polyscale i could airbrush that stuff i don't know if it was the same or not though I don't know what, I'm sure they did something with it. Well, Bob loves it. Good for Bob. He says, though, when they disappeared, he went to Tamiya and finds it easy and safe to use and provides the best flat paint ever. Loves them. Put a drop of retarder on your palette with the paint. You can brush it, brush Tamiya pretty well, too. And I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, But you need that retarder with Tamiya. It is not a great brush paint without it. Here, you'll like this. The worst of these are the squeeze bottle paints. When they separate, they're trash. Yes. In fact, uh, funny you should mention that I threw one away five or six days ago because it had just separated into un- unrecoverable muck. And, uh, you know, there was still part liquid in there and part part uh, pigment, but you could not get them to go back into solution. He goes on to say he thinks a squeeze bottle is just a great marketing scam. 5,000 shades of every color of every nation of every era is a way of hooking new modelers <laughs> and modelers coming back into the hobby. 
I do. I do think there is something to that that it that it gets buy in. That once people have enough of them, they're kind of they're kind of locked into it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he's wrong there. He may not be. I think a lot of it's uh, two or three companies wanting to be everything to everybody, and uh, the fallout just hasn't happened yet. Yep, I agree. Well, one more, and this one's a little long, but I'm going to read it because um, it is also in relation to our, our paint episode. This is from our friend Ian McCauley up in Ottawa. And uh, Ian says that uh, I'm a registered respiratory therapist with almost three decades of experience in the field. And I just listened to the last episode and I'm compelled to reply to Dave's comments that acrylic paints are safer, in quotes, than other types of paint. I hear this from time to time that acrylic paints are safe, not safer, but safe, and uh, won't harm you because they're water-based. This is only partial truth that unfortunately gives modelers an artificial sense of safety when they airbrush acrylic paint. He's right. Chemically, acrylic paint is considered less toxic than enamels or lacquers. And he's talking about water-based acrylics or water-solvent acrylics. Uh, This is because it has less volatile organic compounds or VOCs than uh, water-based solvents. However, this lowered toxic however, this lowered toxicity is to the human nervous system and not the lungs. The xylene, toluene, and occasionally benzene in lacquer paints and enamels too, um, which would be more mineral spirits, but uh, all these are nasty. Uh, when ingested, you know, eaten or breathed in or absorbed through your skin will affect your central nervous system in detrimental way. You won't have these effects when handling acrylic paints. However, as far as your lungs are concerned, it isn't any safer to airbrush acrylic paints than the more volatile cousins. And he goes on to say about how, you know, you're atomizing these paints and these micro particles can bypass all your lungs or are you all your respiratory system safety features, the mucus in your nose and your hairs in your nose, which are the natural filters for all this stuff. Uh, it just goes straight by it. And they embed deep in your lungs. And once and, there, they're never out. Well, and uh, it can lead to asthma, pulmonary fibrosis, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. And he says, additionally, respiratory journals have now identified a specific chronic eosinophilic pneumonia that is directly linked to the inhalation of aerosolized acrylic paint. And these pneumonias are extremely difficult to treat and are often fatal. And he's going on to say, you know, while industry standards have improved over the last 30 years, uh, the industrial exposure of this has gone down, but the hobbyists are kind of not under that umbrella. And he's seeing more of this in the respiratory therapy domain, including in his own practice. The rule of thumb, and I've said this before, and it's one I live by, the rule of thumb with paint is if you can smell it or taste it for that matter, uh, as you're airbrushing it, you are inhaling it. Exactly. For the long-term health of your lungs, anyone spraying any kind of paint should be wearing an N95 style mask, such as a cartridge mask with an external dust filter. The medical type masks aren't sufficient and won't trap the aerosolized particles. Uh, It's also wise, in addition to the mask, use a fume extraction system. He says he uses both. And he even has a fan blowing across his workbench uh, when he's using, like, to me, extra thin cement. So just a health tip from our buddy Ian that uh, maybe acrylics aren't what you think they are. And maybe yeah. you should take a little bit more precaution. I uh, listen, I completely agree with everything he said. I, I have a really nice air booth 
to extract the fumes. And that's the only place I do my airbrushing. And when I do it, I'm wearing a cartridge style N95 mask. Now, I will confess from time to time when I'm, you know, taking 10 seconds to spray one part black, you know, that's going to take five or 10 seconds. To spray, I, I, I vary from that and don't, you know, I'll turn on the air booth, but it won't slap on the mask. But he's right. You should, because it's true. While there's less VOCs, inhaled particles are inhaled particles, whether they're, uh, they're, uh, uh, pigment from, from acrylics or enamels or lacquers. All right. Well, that's all the listener mail, but I wanted to plug something I started on Facebook last week. Uh, we are putting together another listener content or listener provided content episode. It's going to be another goofs, gaffs, and blunders uh, rundown. And we've already got a few from the Facebook post, but uh, I need some more to, to flesh out a, a full episode out of that. Uh, if you'd like to participate and contribute to that effort, uh, please submit these via email to www.plasticmodelmojo.com and please put GG and B in the subject line so I can find them quickly when I'm going to print all these out for the show prep. Uh, and if you want to just send us questions or anything else, you can use that same email address or put them through the uh, Facebook messaging system. We'd love to hear from you. And please, some of them did, some of you guys didn't do it this time. We'd love to hear where you're from. So if you could include your geography, most appreciated. Well, Mike, I, I will make an effort to screw up on the bench sometime in the next two weeks just to give you a, a good story for that episode. <laughs> I've got a couple I forgot the last time we did it, so I'm good. Good. Well, I'd like to take this time for, to ask everybody when you're listening to this episode, when you're done, would you please go on whatever podcast app you're using to listen to us? And give the podcast a, a rating. We'd hope it'd be five stars because it helps drive the visibility of our podcast. Additionally, please tell a friend. If you enjoy the podcast, you you know, you know other modelers. We know that not every modeler is listening to podcasts. Help them out. Turn them on to it. See if you can get them to listen because I will tell you there is nothing that drives listenership other than personal recommendations. So if you would, we appreciate it. Well, as far as personal recommendations go, we're going to recommend our fellow podcasts out there who are also putting out some good content. We've got On the Bench from our Aussie friends down under, Scale Model Podcast out of Canada, the Plastic Posse Podcast and Model Geeks from right here in the United States, and Just Making Conversation out of the UK. We also want to point you guys to some of our uh, non-podcasting content creators, some of our blog and YouTube friends. We've got Sprue Pie with Frets from uh, Stephen Lee, who we actually hope to get on here pretty soon so we can work out uh, a topic to bring him on for. So Steve, if you're listening, uh, I haven't forgot about you. Uh, model Airplane Maker from Chris Wallace. Check out his blog and his YouTube videos are really coming along and uh, yes. teaching us a few things about building some airplanes. Uh, inch high guy if you like 70 second scale from jeff groves who hopefully we'll hear from him while we're up at indy we will i've already been emailing with him ah that's good and on youtube the scale canadian tv from uh the ever affable jim bates finally guys uh if you're not a member of your national ipms chapter be it ipms usa or ipms canada or whatever country you happen to be listening to us in, please consider joining 
your national IPMS organization. Uh, they do a lot for modeling behind the scenes. Uh, uh, they do work with manufacturers. They uh, create uh, the framework by which we can hold contests and not every club is stepping on every other club. Um, and it's nothing but a bunch of volunteers who take some of their modeling time when they'd rather be at the bench and do the, the stuff that needs to be done so that we can have a nationals in Las Vegas this year. So please consider the, the, the membership is, is inexpensive it's a good value and you'll you'll be helping out modeling so please do well speaking of the nationals it's countdown to vegas time dun, dun, dun. so at the time of this recording we are 148 days away from the 2021 ipms <sighs> national convention in the now awakening las vegas nevada i cannot tell you how happy that makes me we're more than halfway there man mhm well, since I failed to reach out to Bob Lamasaro last episode, Bob has launched a preemptive strike to ensure <laughs> this did not happen again. So thanks for having my back, Bob, even though I don't like your poly S paint. <laughs> I'm going to read his. Hi, Mike and Jim. He called you Jim. Oh, God. All right, Bob, you're dead to me. Damn, payback <laughs> for hell, man. I guess yeah, I, know. I got his name wrong for three months. So <laughs> there we go. I want to reach out and update you before you reached out to me. Sounds like a Neil Diamond song, doesn't it? That's right. Uh, he says Vegas is opening up a little at a time every day. And the word on the street is they'll be fully open by the 1st of May. Shows and concerts are already scheduling show dates. And sports attendance will be up to 50% capacity by April 1st, which is also pre-registration kickoff. Yep. Uh, overall, they are highly confident that the 2021 Nationals would go off as planned with no restrictions or issues. Well, that'd be great. Yay. And again, April 1st is a uh, pre-registration, and we stress like uh, you and I did on the show here that pre-registration is a great idea if it's at all possible. Uh, they're expecting record attendance and would hate to see long lines for you to wait in. Yep, Absolutely. Uh, he brings up the uh, official 21 Nats uh, merch. There are two 21 Nats t-shirt designs that have been sneak peeked on the Facebook page. So you're going to want to go check out the Nationals Facebook page. Uh, there's a Thunderbirds Jets over Vegas and an Alan the Alien themed uh, t-shirts for the show. Uh, they'll be on sale on the pre-registration page uh, for only $20 a pop. I have a, t I have a t-shirt from almost every Nats that I attended. You're going to make a quilt out of them? Eventually, that's probably what I'm going to do. My wife makes great fun of me because the, about the only time I ever wear any of them is to subsequent nationals. <laughs> well, you can also add to your other collections because uh, there's also a sneak peek of the official uh, 21 Nats lapel pins and uh, yes. the the caps. Yeah, you got to see my my pin collection when I when you were here fairly recently. I've got a huge number of IPMS Nationals convention pins plus uh, a lot of AMPS pins as well. Aside from being probably the largest and most well-attended Nats ever, it's also going to be one of the most expensive. And uh, he says they really need everyone's support. So please go to the website and sponsor a trophy package. Absolutely. 
they recently posted photos on the website of the first, second, and third standard awards, which were made very attractive. And uh, they're promising that the best of awards and theme awards are going to be something everybody be proud to own. And they're just a few reservations shy of breaking the 3,000 room night record for IPMS national conventions. Uh, don't get stuck being uh, off property for the event. Uh, it is well worth it to be on property because you sp- you don't want to spend all that time traipsing back and forth to the convention. You don't want to waste that valuable time. You want to be able to be at the convention. All right. Well, that's uh, this episode's countdown to Vegas. So it's starting to starting to kick off. I mean, yeah. April 1st. It's starting to seem real. Uh, we'll drop the next episode after, after the, the uh, pre-registration kicks off, in fact. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, uh, Mike, uh, we were kind of alluding to it earlier, but what does your, what's your bench top look like? It's still covered in paint bottles of every make and every make and model in my collection of paint anyway. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the weathering on the Zist 2 is creeping along. Uh, had no trouble being slow and steady on this. I, sh- I was showing you over the weekend. I, I kind of took a diversion from the from the gun assembly and and was working on the lower gun shield a little bit. I liked your chipping. It really looks good. Uh, I'm pleased with it. It was just something about it on the side that's got the release lever to to raise and lower that shield. It just wasn't popping like I wanted it to. And I played around with it for several hours and then did the chipping on it. I'm really pleased the way it turned out. And then I've I've done the backside since then. Uh, and hopefully this is going to be a template for pretty much everything else on the model as far as chipping and paint distressing goes. So, um, and I'm getting, I'm getting a little faster. Like we, we talked about last time, uh, with these techniques and uh, we'll talk about a little bit more in our special segment, I guess about that, but, uh, that's pretty much what's gotten all my time. I still haven't gotten the uh e16 out again yet and i probably won't until i get this thing completely completely weathered i'm just gonna sure. try to push this one across the finish line at least the, the model i don't know if i'll get the base and everything before i break the other thing out again or start something new i don't know uh, but uh it's coming along and I, i've had to go back and do a few things like i i'd, I'd kind of overlook the back sides of the wheels yeah so i'm having to go back and play catch up on the backside of the wheels, which had just been base coated. So, uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. It's looking good. I'm pleased. Good. Good. I'm not working on anything else. So you you have to save the day. Well, I wish I could, but as I told you, the, the mojo has not flowed the last two weeks. Uh, I have barely made any progress on either the mosquito or the, uh, uh, M30. I did I did do a little bit more work on the M30 on one of the split trails and pin washing. Um, even more than you, all of this weathering on armor pieces is new, new, new to me. And so there's a combination of fear, trepidation, and uh, you know, not knowing what the heck I'm doing, which slows me down even further. Uh, combine that with everything I've been going through with uh, work and and springtime arriving and all. Uh, it's a, It's been a slow bench. It, it, I'll tell you what, while there's not dust gathering on it, at least not yet, uh, it's dust adjacent. 
So I've got to find some time and energy and some mojo to dive back in and get both of these things pushed forward. So I wish I had more to report. I wish I had some, some completion to report. We're three months into the, into the year and I don't have anything finished yet for the year. So that's bad. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going to redouble my efforts. I promise. Well, Dave, since you haven't been building too much, have you been buying too much? Actually, I have been pretty darn good when it comes to uh, breaking my wallet. Uh, I have not bought a lot in the modeling realm, although, as you well know, uh, I've been putting together an order for Hannett's where I plan on some spending some money uh, to get a few things uh like I need more decals and kits, but still there's some stuff I want that uh, really is available from Hannett's like nowhere else. And then, you know, some modeling friends also want some stuff there. So we've been assembling an order that I have yet to, to place, but the trigger is about to be pulled. Well, that's boring. Well, I'm sorry. That's a, <laughs> I, I really have not spent, I've been into the, I've been into our local hobby shop twice in the past two weeks and walked out without anything. I'm sure Brian appreciates that. Yeah, well, I know, but uh, I mean, I don't, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Well, I'm sure that'll get remedied at some point. Some point soon, for sure. How about you? I'm covering myself and I'm picking up your slack this episode. Oh my god. All right. This, this, that's what I want to hear. I can live vicariously through you and still have money in the bank to pay the electricity. Well, I haven't received a lot of it yet, but I, I pulled the trigger on IBG's uh, Polish 7TP special edition kit. Now, this is the single turret, right? It's the single turret, and this boxing has the metal barrel and the, and the uh, mini art Polish tank crew figures. Oh, man, that's nice. So it's a nice, nice package. Uh, have, have you ever seen the mini art uh, tank crew figures previously in person? And not that particular set, but I have a few of their other figure sets, and I'm sure they're going to be pretty, pretty darn good for plastic figures. Well, good because I'm, I'm anxious to hear when you get it. I'll, I'll let everyone know. Uh, you know they're coming out with the the twin turret too, and I'll probably wait on that one and pick that one up from Scale Reproductions and. Uh, We'll see what else they do. There's a uh, there's an earlier version of the 7TP that's got a uh, how's it different? That the back end's different. It's got a vented back end instead of the high muffler with the with the armored doors on the back. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little bit different. And then uh, there's an artillery tractor. I think it's the C7P or something yes. like that. That's uh, based on the same kind of Vickers six ton suspension. But uh, we'll see if they do that too. I bet they it do. Would, let's let's hope they do those all because those are all holes in the in in the thirty fifth scale kit world. So while I was waiting on that to arrive from Poland, uh, I was cruising around. Uh, do you know you familiar with Ivan? It runs the Yellow House Club Modelers Group, and no. kind of a consortium of World War One uh, resin kit master master guys. No. Uh, I can't remember his last name. It's a long last name, but uh, he, he runs an eBay store and he's got a lot of obscure stuff. And uh, 
finally he got some restock. Uh, there's a company I, I can't even I don't even know the maker of the company. Uh, the, uh, the, I don't know the name of the maker, but they make a a resin replacement engine for the Soviet uh, NKL 26 Aeroson. Oh, the little the the little. The sled with the airplane motor on it, right? Snowmo- snowmobile with a with a radial engine on the back, right? So there's a couple of kits of the NKL twenty six. One's made by a it's either Trumpeter or Hobby Boss, and the other one is made by an, a kind of a short run company, I think, out of of Ukraine, maybe Russia, called AMG, mm-hmm. which is actually the better kit. Um, Didn't Verlinden do one of those at one time? Uh, I think Lead Sled out of UK made one. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a kind of expensive multimedia deal, right? Uh, but the this AMG kit's the one I have, and the engine in it's okay. It's got a lot of white metal castings, like for the cylinders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not particularly remarkable. Um, but this 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 resin kit for the engine and all the all the piping lifting and- piping and uh, all that stuff, all the cylinders. It's it's really really beautiful. So I I, I popped on one of those because I haven't. It it comes and goes, and I always miss it. Well, so let me do you do you know? Did the Soviets actually use those things much? I don't know because you don't see it. You see a lot of like rear area, yeah, photos of them being used. I don't know how much they were actually used. It's just kind of a neat thing. I've yeah. got uh, I've got the NKL twenty six from AMG, and I've also got from uh, I think it's Vulcan models makes a one of the other aerosons and you actually get two of them in the box. So it's, that's kind of cool. Oh, I but don't think I realized there were multiple versions. Oh, there's three or four different ones. Wow. So anyway, I, I got that for, for that kit. Um, hopefully I'll build that someday. <laughs> <laughs> that's our goal with all of them. Also from Ivan's eBay store, I got a kind of an obscure T26 based artillery tractor. Oh really? I've got a photo. I've got a photo of one of these artillery tractors towing a seventy-six point two millimeter regimental gun, which Bronco Models makes a kit of that, which I, I bought in Hong Kong when I was over there one time. So I think it's going to make a neat, neat little pairing for those two someday. Is that the ZIS three? No, it's a precursor to that. It's an earlier gun. Oh okay. And then uh, he also had on his side a a little conversion that uh, takes the twin turret. T26, and it's got a frame aerial around the lower superstructure for a, for a command a radio command vehicle. Oh, and I thought that was pretty neat. So I, that one wasn't very expensive. So I picked up picked up that. So three things from Ivan from Yellow House Club. Uh, you ought to get on his Facebook page. Yellow I'll have House to Club. Do that. I, I, yeah. And particularly, I've got a burgeoning interest in all things World War One. So I'll well, you're in for a big old rabbit hole then. Oh God! Don't do that to me. You know that is funny. You mentioned that you to being on the site and then throwing in one additional item or all. That is the bane of uh, when I when I purchase online. That is the one thing I do find myself doing that you don't find yourself doing as much at a brick and mortar hobby shop. Is you're sitting there and you go, oh well, you know I've kind of wanted that and it's real cheap, so I'll just throw that on, you know. It'll help, and you you justify it by saying you're spreading out your shipping cost more or whatever. So that uh, Hannitz gets me every time that way. Well, that's all I got from Yellow House Club, but I'm not done yet. Oh wow, you really did. <laughs> Ooh. 
Well, I sold something out of my military collection a while back, and I've got a little extra cash All at right. the moment. So. Reinvesting, stimulating Re- the economy. Yeah. Well, the other stuff was probably a better investment than this is. But <laughs> what, what did you do? Oh, nothing. It's just uh, military, which tends to hold its value, if not go up in certain markets, and this stuff I'll sell at a loss if I ever sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, we talked about FC model trends and her 3D printed stuff a while right. back. I yeah. think I mentioned it in one of the uh, faves and yawns segments in the past. Uh, finally, I just pulled the trigger. I I got on their site and ordered about five or six different things uh, just to just to check it out. You've never seen one of their things, so you don't know what the quality of the no. Is. So I've anecdotally, it's supposed to be pretty good, but uh, I ordered those crazy raised screens for the T50 light tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got their, uh, I bought all three varieties of their Soviet tank periscopes and something else. What was it? Uh, oh, it was uh, the tool clasps that are common to all the Soviet light tanks from World War II and pre-war. So, Gotcha. Kind of got a, a, a smattering of the three kind of things there they make so so we'll see i have seen that that those that tool clamps seem brackets and tool clamps seem to be really popular 3d printed replacement items for uh for armor well it's because the next best is photo etch and you don't have to form these up right and the uh the, the cross section's probably a little thicker but not much yeah I wonder if they'll end up coming to replace some of that photo etch that's out there in the aftermarket world. Ah, uh, it could. Yeah. It could well indeed. Uh, and I showed it on the Facebook page after we came to Louisville and visited you that day a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I picked up Hobby Bosses, one of their T-28s, Soviet uh, medium tanks. I got the what they call the riv- riveted construction, which is actually a model 1939 uh, with a L-10 gun on it which is kind of my favorite version so that thing is a beast i, just, I actually had that out looking at it the other day and uh that that mm, there's a chance that one might climb to the top of the top of the list uh-oh fondling plastic <laughs> again and finally if you'll get off your rump and get that hannon's order in i'm yes. hoping to pick up a bunch of uh popcorn for my 72nd scale airplane projects yep and I will, honest to gosh, this weekend, I know I said it last weekend, but I will put it in this weekend. Just been, like I said, busier than a cat covering crap. Well, let me know when you do. I will do so. I, I assumed that it was in. That's probably the only thing that's kept me from adding to it. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, you can add either. <laughs> you have days left. No, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like you've kind of, kind of, kind of spent a little. So, yeah. I have. Well, Dave, let's take a short break here and have a word from our sponsor. Sounds good. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Well, we are back. We've uh, topped off our drinks, been to the water closet, and now we're ready to talk about our special segment. And our special segment tonight is uh, talk about the weathering. 
<laughs> well, it's appropriate. Spring has come. It's ch- weather's changing, so we're going to talk about weathering. And uh, I think kind of about our our own experiences. We're both kind of treading on some uh, new trails here, based on our prior experiences or lack of experiences. Absolutely. I, I know you've been uh, slogging away at that M thirty. Soviet howitzer, and I'm also slogging away at a Soviet artillery piece, my little Zis-2 anti-tank gun. What's your experience so far? What do you... Well, a couple of things that that leap immediately to mind, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions about yours. Um, First, as far as weathering armor, this is the first piece of armor or artillery I have built since the mid-90s. And I, I, I was inspired by what you were doing and what Night Shift was posting to go ahead. I like artillery pieces, build it, and then try and learn some of the new techniques, the, the finishing and armor, uh, both because I want to try them and they look cool and, and I wanted to see if I could do them, but also some of them I think may have some translation over into aircraft, but the one thing the one thing that leaped out immediately to me was how much more time consuming this weathering is in the, the now again keep in mind it was the mid 1996 95 or 96 was the last time i built two small german artillery pieces one a pack 36 and the other the the quad 20 you know when you built those and painted them you did, you know, you might do a little pastel work and you might do, you would do some dry brushing, highlighting dry brushing. And that was it. You were done. And so the amount of kit construction and painting compared to weathering, weathering was the the finish line. And it was easy to get there once you were assembled and painted. These new techniques are time-consuming. One of the reasons is that they produce a much superior finish, a more realistic weathered finish, doing things like chipping and and, uh, uh, pin washing and, and, uh, you know, dust and rain marks and stuff like that. The goal is to produce a a whole lot more authentically looking, pleasing to the eye finish but you're investing a whole lot more time in it. And given the fact that I'm, I'm having trouble building as quickly as I would like, I do find that a little disheartening and I'm not sure what the solution is. I, you know, I noticed uh, one of the last few night shifts, he was trying some different weathering techniques and I kind of wondered if maybe part of that was not trying to find a way to achieve what he achieves, but speed up the process. How about you? Well, I, I agree. And, and, and to, to, to reference Martin again, um, he, he often shamefully jokes in his self-deprecating way about the amount of time he spends like chipping and distressing some of these models. So you kind of got to embrace the pain, I guess. And <laughs> embrace the pain. Yeah, I think the military term for that is embrace the suck. Yes, I think so. I agree with you that this is time consuming, 
but I think I'm starting to get it. And if you for for my project, is this too? It's you know, it's basic green, right? Right. And where this thing was when I started the the highlight painting, and to what it's become now is, and I'm watching this thing transform. And I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm doing it to the level I, I hope to be able to do it to. It's, it's kind of the first time, really. I did yeah. a little bit of it on the PT seventy six, so I'm not a. It's not like I'm cutting my teeth on this one, but but. To the point, um, when I started all that highlighting, I'd, I'd chosen one of the colors I thought was a little too brown, and I just didn't like the way it looked. And using some of these techniques, especially the oil paint rendering techniques, uh, how this thing's come together uh, once I did that, it's, it's kind of been phenomenal. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really impressed by the way it all shifted towards something that's more favorable to my eyes anyway. Well, uh, let me, let me ahead. ask, let me ask you something, you know, the little lower gun shield, the piece that you've been posting on, uh, for the last week or two. Yes. On Facebook. And you've been concentrating on that cause it's a separate piece and, you know, easy to work. And I broke it off. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> Come on, man. I was trying not to, I wasn't going to narc out on you, but yeah, that separate piece. So you've done pin wash, oil work, then you've done chipping. What would you say is your total amount of time invested in that one small piece of that gun? Weathering only, obviously. Oh, man. You really want to know? Yes, because I, I I think this gets to the heart of, of the challenge that I see with doing this. I, I think I have five or six hours just in that. Which, if you stretch it across the entire gun, which, you know, you may not. Um, well, I, pr- I probably will, and I, but I've done some of it already. But I'm only, I've only got the about a third of the gun, the gun subassembly chipped. Yeah. So I've got two thirds of that to go. The entire split trail is untouched and then the wheels are untouched. So yeah. See, I I started with the wheels and the split trail. (laughs) It's interesting. Um, What would you, okay. Take a guess. Obviously, as you get more familiar with these techniques and, and all, you will at least hope that you get some sort of increased speed although there is a limit to that simply because this is very fine work and you have to have to to be careful with it what would you what would you guess extrapolating from that lower gun shield what would you guess is going to be the total time weathering and chipping the this looking at it across the bench and based on just kind of surface area alone Probably 40, 45 hours of mo- of modeling enjoyment. <laughs> modeling enjoyment. Well, it, I will say, okay, I, I am not saying it's not fun. I really do enjoy it, although I haven't gotten to the chipping stage, so. It's fun when it's going well. Yes. Well, that's, that's true of all modeling. When it's, man, when, when the airbrush is spraying just right, there is no better feeling in the world. It just, but uh, I, I just, I wonder if I've got that much modeling time available. 
and and whether it's whether I'm going to get more satisfaction out of finishing one model with all those techniques to that level, or I would be happier finishing two models, even if I invested less less in the finish. I don't I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a personal preference. I would say. I think I think it's true. Now I will say that uh, speaking of weathering. Uh, in the past year, uh, having started to experiment with these AK pencils, I find the, them to be really great, a great tool for my or the arsenal. And the, one of the nice things about them is that they're not hugely time-consuming. And, and so that I can achieve weathering techniques that I was achieving, either not achieving or achieving with a more time-consuming uh, method by using them, I've I've I I can see those speeding up my my modeling. Now, those I use probably more on aircraft than on uh, artillery piece, but uh, you know it's not all. I don't want to paint it all as bleak because at least in that regard, I found that that it, it, it sped me up in addition to to looking better. Well, with regard to speed, I think the, the the backside of that lower gun shield took me about half the time that the front did. So what I say, five hours? Yeah. So, do you think that just was coming from having learned what you were doing? Yes, I think so. You know, then there there may be hope for us yet, or you. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm dead. Pro- you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I, I, I'll achieve that, but at least there's hope for you. Well, if I go from the PT-76 to this gun to the T-28 and they're all green, we should have our answer at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think it's getting faster. Now, having to learn a lot, you know, if you're doing this chipping and you don't have your these acrylics thinned down, you're going to end up with bumps and lumps instead of chips. I right. learned that. But uh, I also learned that uh, you can take a toothpick and knock those off. Yeah. Do you, uh, in addition, are you adding flow, uh, either paint retarder or flow enhancer or anything additionally? No, no, for the, for the chipping, I'm, I'm using the, uh, I'm using the, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it the, the kind of the classic way it's been established by all the rock stars, right? Um, I, I put down a, a, a chip zone with a, a really light color. Right. To kind of show the scuff paint around the chipped area and then using one of the browns they always use to actually make the the oxidized metal exposed metal under it and the, the life color that i'm using for the the superficial kind of scratch is already so thin that i'm not having much trouble with that it's, it's the vallejo brown that, that i'm using that i'm having to thin about 50 percent. okay so you didn't use the same paint that your was your base coat the same manufacturer and and no okay no the uh the base coat on that model is uh it's it's a it's a blend of a lot of tamiya greens and then uh was topped off the final was a ak real color 4bo mm-hmm. well that was the base for my m30 was the ak 4bo and then all the highlighting was a bunch of different, a bunch of different uh, Vallejo colors. See, now I did my highlighting with 
a mix of the AK4BO with with a tan and a and a white to do my highlighting. Well, that's a reasonable way to do it too, I think. Yeah. Now, one thing um, that I've come to, and a lot of it depends on how smooth your base coat layer is, but uh, with this pin wash technique, as opposed to the old, the, old, the old way of just you know throwing the wash over, over everything, right? Right. Um, you you can't really have a flat finish, and you can't really have a rough finish. Yeah. Because it makes the wash migrate away out from what you're trying to put it around, and it right. it gets harder to clean up. Yes. Uh, for, for, by for the this same model, token, you don't want a a super gloss finish. Well, what I've come to is a fifty fifty mix of to me a clear satin and their clear gloss. Yeah, and for me that that pretty much made the wash perform the way I wanted it to. Yeah, like but I, you you mentioned cleaning up, and that is something that I don't you know I I I think I found initially frustrating was I would apply the pin wash. And at least in my brain, it was supposed to do what it was supposed to do. And I wasn't supposed to have to come back in behind it and do a little touch up or clean up to remove it from places where I didn't want it or had migrated or whatever. And I think you're always going to have to do that to some extent. But I agree with you, the finish that you're applying the pin wash to makes a huge difference. So going forward... You know, I, I got to finish chipping this thing out, and then uh, the earth tones will come after that. Now, are you going? Are you going to try and apply those with an airbrush? Are you going to try and apply those with like a Wilder product? Or uh, that's a good question. I probably won't use an airbrush simply because it's such a small footprint. The model, right? That uh, I think it'd be too easy to overdo that and wipe out a bunch of the work I've already done. Gotcha. There are some uh, ammo by Mig. There's his uh, splatter labeled stuff. Yeah. Sorry, there there's splashes. Yeah. Um, I really learned to like those on the PT seventy six, and now there's a couple of shades I'm going to use. I think on the Zis, uh, on the on the on the wheels and tires, and on the lower gun shield, and then on the on the spade ends of the split trail. And then I may go back, and there's one of the Wilders I may use as well. On top of that, after it's all done, I may have to look at the Wilder. I I used it uh, just a little bit on the uh, the little Bofors I built and the and the Morris tractor, and I, I like it. And one of our listeners, uh, what the one of the problems I was having with it, it's it's a water based acrylic product, and right. it was tending to beat off the uh, the finish that I was putting it over which was making some undesirable things happen. So I just put just a, a, a touch of dish soap in it mm-hmm. and that fixed it completely. Hmm. And it just that, affected the surface tension. Yeah. It completely took the surface tension away and, uh, let it spread evenly. And then you can go back and just, you can clean it up with water. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's a really a neat product i i'm gonna try to use it again on on the zis well what uh have you had any pitfalls well going forward uh, on the on the m30 with the weathering yeah but my mine are okay again it took me a little bit of time with the pin wash to figure out that 
I'm going to need to, at least to some extent, go back and clean up spots. So I need to have some some pure thinner that I can, or mineral spirit that I can go in and and pick off areas that I don't want where the pin wash is or too heavy or whatever. But some of my problems are related to my particular challenges because I have an essential tremor highlighting and all is very, very fine detail work. And I'll tell you this, this worries me about the upcoming chipping is whether I'm going to be able to have enough control to chip effectively without, without being too, without having the the tremor in the hand affect it too much. Um, One of the reasons I'm considering uh, using a, a sponge technique, at least some of the time, is the fact that I think that will lessen the 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 effects of the trimmer and probably give me a better application. But um, sometimes I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure of the order of the techniques. You and I've had a couple of discussions about those. Uh, the order of what you lay down, you know, pin wash, chip, dust, uh, whatever, um, rain mark, whatever, uh, getting the exact order. And then these products are all so new to me, trying to figure out how they work and how they w- interact with each other is is a little daunting. You know, because again, you get to the point, I really like the M30. It was a slog to get it together. But now that it is and painted and I've started to weather it and all, I really like the way it's going. And that's the point where fear sets in and you don't want to muck it up. And so I I do think that the that the one one of the keys is to have have a mule and do it on the mule first. Not just a paint mule, but a weathering mule. To anytime you're going to try any new technique, play around with it, especially with all these different things and their formulations. You don't know how they interact or react with each other. You know your your dish soap story fits right in there. You know you're doing that on a mule, and you see it, and it's like, okay, I've got a problem here. I need to fix the problem before I try and do this on the real mod or on my real project. How about you? Well, I agree with that in general, but I'm kind of not living that on this Zist too. I mean, this is a model I want to look nice and I'm trying (laughs) a lot of new stuff on it. (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, you ultimately you have to at some point. Oh yeah. But I think anytime you use a new product, if you can experiment with it on a mule, just just to see how it handles and how it reacts, especially with some of these products where I'm just, you know, this is so new to me. It's, it's truly back to the basics. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, you're no longer just looking for a, a, a color or color shift or, uh, some kind of colorization to the model using, using these different products we have now and the different formulations is allowing you to do things. Uh, there's like a, there's rhyme and reason to 
why you're using this one before this one or, or this one on top of that one. And it's getting your head around all that is, is been kind of a challenge, but I think I'm starting to get it. And what I'm seeing in my work is that, uh, as I get an effect, I like, like on this lower gun shield, if I get it to where I want it, like I had mentioned earlier that at the, at the time I'd broken it off the model and I didn't damage it. It just, it broke at the glue joint. So it's, it's all fine. Uh, I, you know, I decided not to put it back on cause I didn't want to break it off again. So, but with just the base coating on it and the shades of green I'd used, it just, nothing was popping on it. And I, I was playing with it with, with the oil paints and I just still wasn't getting it. And, and, and finally I just pulled out the stops and I think I was just trying to be too, too subtle with the, with the color variations. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to pull out the stops here. I'm going to go really light on this and really dark here and then just see what happens. And lo and behold, once I did that and then came back and, and kind of blended it later, I got exactly what I was after. And I tell you, there's effects on that, just that one part that I hope I can, can, can port over to the other parts of this, the other sub assemblies on this model. And it really makes me excited about the next model I'm going to build. Well, I do, I do think that makes a really good point that I have come to find not only on uh, armor stuff, but on aircraft, uh, that whatever you do needs to be more exaggerated than you think it does. Because of the fact that when you do it, it's you can make it stark, but then everything else you do brings it back down. So that if you don't make that initial uh, uh, set of effects stark, that what happens is by the time you've done everything else, you look at the model and it almost looks monotone. Or it looks like there's no effect in the in the pre-shading or the post-shading or whatever. And I think that a lot of modelers, myself included, are fearful of that initial startness so that we back away from being bold. I think that's true. And it, it harkens back to probably my last completed build before I kind of hung up my hung up my paintbrushes and knives for a while um it was that uh that sig 33 yeah i remember it uh it's one of my favorite german vehicles the the big boxy superstructure the sig 33 on the panzer 3 chassis mm-hmm. uh right as i was getting that finished a modeler i can't remember he was in asia somewhere uh posted one to uh missing links or track link or one of the, one of the web forums. And he had all this, it wasn't quite, I wouldn't say this modulation where they're trying to do the light and, you know, on the corners and, and all that, but he had really distressed the, the Panzer gray and it had a lot of areas where it was faded or it was soiled with Browns. And it just, the color shift was all over the place, but you could tell it was, it was representative of a gray painted vehicle. It was just dirty and faded and weather beaten. And, I looked at mine, which I'd done with the traditional techniques of the time. Uh, and it's like, and I talked to him a little bit over email, like, man, that model really looks great. So w- what has me excited is I'm, I'm finally starting to see some of that kind of effect on the green on this anti-tank gun. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm really, really pleased with the results. So it keeps me moving forward. Um, 
you 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 did mention something uh, a minute ago that reminded me of something I wanted to mention. I'm amazed at how much I'm using paint brushes now as opposed to five years ago. Because yeah. five years ago, you're now again keep in mind aircraft, but you're airbrushing the base interior color, and you might either dry brush and or pick out some of the interior knobs and instruments or wires, whatever. You either dry brushed or you picked them out with with acrylic paint or whatever. Then you close that bad boy up. And that was the last time you touched a brush. It was airbrushing from there on out, pre-shading, <laughs> painting, post-shading. You know, that, that was it. You, you know, paint brushing was not a skill. I didn't need many small paint brushes. I, you know, I, I didn't need all, all those acrylic paints to, to pick out detail. Um, I had them because I buy paint way too much, but the amount of paint brushing that is going on now in modeling is just amazing to me. Uh, same here. I, I just, I'm holding one of my last, uh, Filberts, which is my favorite oil paint blending brush. And I need yes. to get, need to, need to order some paint brushes. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, you can break the, see, Mike is going to break his wallet next episode as well. Um, you do get, I tell you what, I do, do find that you fall in love with certain paint brushes. Yeah, I think that's true. I, you know, most of this fine work I'm, I'm using like a, Oh, what are these? Five aught. Mm-hmm. Which isn't terribly small. But if it's got a good point on it, it really doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't hold a whole lot of paint, but uh it's a good brush. Yeah. I'm I'm to highlight all the rivets on the M30, I was using a 10O and I I wish I knew that I really love this brush. I picked it up somewhere. I have no idea where. There's you know, there's no indication of who the manufacturer is or, or or anything like that. And I would love to get more of them. So I've got my eye out to see if I can find them. But And the other thing is, is using brushes only for particular things. Like you don't use a brush to put Mr. Surfacer on a model and then use that same brush to paint. You don't? I don't. <laughs> I've got a couple of brushes that I love for uh, in aircraft modeling. Uh, Royce Sutherland has a technique where you've got future and brown and black Tamiya mixed together, and you brush a paint it in um, cockpit interiors or wheel well interiors. And because of the way that future flows, it, it, tucks into the corners and gives you some really great contrasts. And I have one or two brushes that those are the only brushes. The only thing I do with those brushes is apply that technique with that, with that future to me, a mixture. Yeah. I still need to try that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I highly recommend it. I, I really, it has worked well for me ever since uh, Roy mentioned it and demonstrated it. All right. Well, that's kind of our take on uh, our current status of our own weathering techniques and uh, what we're finding out about them as we kind of trudge along here on new territory for both of us. It's kind of yep. interesting. Come along and learn with us. Well, hopefully I have more progress this week and uh, have more to report. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I got to figure out what the next thing is I want to try. <laughs> I'm not, not quite there yet, but uh, we'll see. We'll get there. So, Mike, uh, we're wrapping up. Do you have a shout out? Uh, yes, I do. I've got two shout out categories. I'll okay. give you my first one. Um, as typical, uh, Dave and I wish to shout out and thank the following listeners for their generous support of Plastic Model Mojo. Uh, for episode 34's roll call of uh, Faithful Mojovians. <laughs> Mojovians. It sounds like a it. cult. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, this list will include uh, John Paisano, Alex Restrepo, Terry Wilkinson, Matt Dyer, Ethan Eidenmill, and Tim Cavalier. Uh, a few repeats in there. We appreciate that. And a couple of new ones as well. Uh, Thank you. All of all of these contributions help further the cause and will hopefully advance the plastic model mojo banner to a model show near some of you in the uh, months ahead. So that's what we're hoping. Yep. And if you would like to contribute to plastic model mojo, you may do so at www.plasticmodelmojo.com. Just look for the heart icon in the upper right corner of the screen, and that will take you to a PayPal link and you can make a direct contribution if you like, or this link can also be found at the beginning or the end of the show notes of the latest episode. So you can go there and check it out as well. So do you have another shout out? I do, but I was going to let you go next. Okay. Well, I'm doing a, something a little bit different on this shout out. I'm making a movie recommendation. All right. uh, I finally got around uh, to watch and this is not model related or military related or anything. Thanks to uh, Jim Bates. I finally got around to watching 2015's movie a big the big short and i have to say that it's a great movie i really enjoyed it i i watched it twice over the weekend it was that good and i'd recommend if you've got a chance got an opportunity i'm sure it's streaming out there somewhere i bought it on physical media because i like owning physical media i recommend watching it I think there's a lot to learn from it. There's a lot of great acting performances. The writing, directing were fantastic. So my little gift to you is go watch that movie. Well, I have to check it out. My other shout out is uh, to uh, Bela Mohachi of Hungary. Uh, Bela is an employee of the Reba Corporation. And thanks to Bela, I am now in possession of a one-tenth scale drawing of the Reba Botan cross-country truck. So you and I talked about this. Is this going – do you think this, along with the photographs and then the photographs of the museum piece in Hungary, will be enough to allow you to complete your project? From a reference standpoint, I think so. I was, okay. flo I was floored when I got this email. Because it's, it's, it's a scan and looking at the, just the, you open the PDF on your computer screen and it doesn't look like it's that clean of a drawing. Yeah. But when you enlarge it and realize what it is, it's a pretty good scan. Yeah. Um, 
And at one-tenth scale, it's pretty big. So, and it's got a lot of the uh, undercarriage and uh, blind stuff ghosted ghosted into the drawing. So, it's not just the exterior of the vehicle. Gotcha. So, it's a, a really a, a really nice thing to find because I, I don't know that anybody else right now. I, I know the person who built the, the radio control version I, I've been referencing for, for my project did not have this drawing. So I'm a step so when, ahead. So when are we going to see Mike's models and uh, uh, or plastic model Mojo's models uh, kit re- uh, resonant 3D printed <laughs> kit of this Hungarian truck? I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've not gotten very far, but uh, it's a fun research project. I'll tell you that. So yeah, y- give a shout out to Bela there for uh, providing me that drawing from the I mean right from the horse's mouth. That's the company that made the truck during during the pre-war and wartime years and. It sounds like they're open to uh, taking some photo requests too, and I've asked them if they have component drawings. So I kind of upped the ante. They sent me a, a an overall drawing. I was like, "Well, you, you have any component drawings?" So <laughs> hell, who knows what I'm going to get next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> next thing you're going to get an angry email in Hungarian saying, "Do we have to come over and build it for you?" <laughs> yeah. Well, if if they had some component drawings of some of the rear suspension, that would be really helpful. But uh, yeah. I think I can I can work with what I got. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I look forward to seeing that project. Well, it's going to be going to be a long slog amongst uh, other projects along the way, I think. But uh, sure, it's a pretty cool project. Uh, hey, listen, anybody who could turn an Allen uh, SU seventy six into an actual SU seventy six, this ought to be child's play for you. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to give me an opportunity to try a few techniques. So that's that's what that's what excites me the most about it. You know, that's that I'm telling you what, that's some of the fun of modeling. As much as I'm intimidated by some of this stuff on the M30, uh, you know, trying these new techniques, when you do it and it goes right, there's just a level of enjoyment that, that really amps up your mojo. So maybe that's what I'm needing to amp up my mojo. All right. Well, we need to take that amp up mojo and get back to the bench, Dave. We've been going along here, running yep. our mouths. Yep. Well, Mike, we've come to the end of the episode. You know what that means. It means there's so many kits. So little time. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. And uh, everybody, happy modeling. Happy modeling.